Welcome to Star Joe's Podcast, episode 107, The EU Strikes Back. I'm your host, Ryan. And I'm Robert. And welcome back, everyone. Yes, this is a new spinoff show again. Uh, I, I guess we're just going to keep doing these spinoff shows. and <laughs> <laughs> Anything to avoid the regular show. Right, that's, exactly. That's our plan. <laughs> if we don't have to talk about comics anymore, we're going to... No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, no, but, uh, Robert, this was actually your idea. Uh, you had reached out to me and said that you had just, uh, I mean, I know you had listened and read some of the books in the past, mm-hmm. but, uh, as far as the star Wars books, but, uh, you had reached out to me and said you were starting to really kind of get into some of them. And, uh, why don't you kind of let the listeners know like what your concept or what your idea is for this particular spinoff show? Yeah. I th- you know, years ago, I mean, well, just to kind of start off, as I work, um, I'm drawing all day long, and so I find I, I'm more productive if I'm listening to something as opposed to, you know, watching TV or movies or whatever while I work. Uh, and so I got into podcasts and uh, audiobooks you know, quite a few years ago. And, uh, you know, of course, with, with the huge amounts of Star Wars audiobooks out there, that, I, I gravitated towards that with my interest in the property. And... Um, but it was real scattershot. It was just whatever I could grab or I read the back of the, you know, just a little quick summary of the book. I thought, this sounds interesting. I picked it up. So I listened to them, and I don't know exactly even how many. I mean, maybe a couple dozen at the most, um, but just from all different eras. And and some I accidentally listened to twice, and I didn't realize <laughs> it until I was like halfway through. I was like, oh, wait, this sounds really familiar. So there was, I mean... Knowing me, I know you're not surprised. There's zero organization to my approach. <laughs> um, and this is coming from a guy who, once again, lost his notes for the particular show we were about to record. <laughs> and I just barely found him right before we started. So anyway, uh, so I so I am familiar with uh, you know a lot of the Star Wars books and a lot of the the EU. Um, you know, I but but not nearly to the extent that Ryan or, or Chuck or the you know uh, some other guys who are, are much more familiar with all the nuances of the characters, the time periods, and everything kind of involved. So I was interested in making sense of it. And uh, and I thought that there was value to a show like that where there's a lot of fans out there who I think might be intimidated by the EU or just think, look, I like my original three movies and nothing else counts. And not that we're trying to convince those people, but there's got to be an in-between, yeah. right? Where people are, are looking to expand you know, what's out there in the EU. And then you look at, I mean, how many books are there? A hundred and what? Oh, we're going to get into that. There, There's well over a hundred. Yeah. <laughs> and so, I mean, that is daunting. I mean, yeah. there's now, luckily we there's resources online where you can get an actual list of chronologically, um, you know, it's all set up before the battle of Yavin, but just in general, there's a, uh, it's all set up chronologically, like what books takes place in which order. And and I thought, you know what? And also, I've so over the years, I have wanted to just start at the beginning and read through. Um, now, again, it's easier for me to listen to a book as opposed to sit down and read it. Uh, I don't read. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I can read. I swear. Um, I never learned how to read. <laughs> no, there's um. No, so most of the books, they do have audio versions, but some of them, you know, I'll, I'll read through when we get to those. But uh, I have been collecting, you know, the audio books, uh, whether I have been purchasing them or have uh, some of them are free online or through YouTube, which is which did surprise me. And that's actually how I listened to this first book. Um, 
So, I mean, there's a lot of them out, out there that are available. Yeah. Uh, or, or I would go to my, you know, I know that they have them at my library and I can check them out and listen to them that way. So, yeah. um, anyway, so that's kind of my thought was that it would be a good resource for people to kind of read through the books with us and uh, be able to really nail down the EU through the novels. Yeah. And, and I, number one, I think you give Chuck too much credit for how much he knows about star Wars, but um, <laughs> well, I just, I just assumed <laughs> right, he's the co-host of, of star Joe's. I assumed he had this encyclopedic knowledge, but uh, no, he's, he's basically, he's been learning a lot more since we've been doing the show. Um, but he was, I was more the star Wars and he was more the GI Joe expert. Like he knew, he know, I will give him credit. He knows far more about GI Joe than I have ever known. will probably will ever know. Um, but I was definitely the, the Star Wars side of it, uh, whereas right. um, I had mentioned to you before is that I've read and own at least some version every single comic that's been produced by Dark Horse. Uh, and I have the whole Marvel run in, a tr- in trade form, and I have not read all of those, but uh, I definitely am working my way through that. But every Dark Horse one I have read every single you know every single issue i might not necessarily remember all of them because obviously (laughs) there's a lot um but when it comes to the books this was the thing that kind of surprised uh robert (laughs) i think a little bit was uh he reached out to me and i says well do you want to do them first off we said do you want to do them in publishing order do you want to do them in chronological order as far as the stories go and we agreed that we felt chronological made the most sense uh to and that if, if as we're going along, another book comes out that takes place before, you know, prior to the current book we're on, then we'll just jump back and, and cover that book at that time. Um, yeah, I think we'll hop in and kind of give some context of you know, the book before and after and say this is where it fits in. Yeah. But we'll kind of halt where we're at chronologically. Yeah. Do that book as it's as it's released and then just move along. Yeah. You know? And then my and. um to give you some overview, uh, give you guys some overview when it comes to it. And first off, I thought it was a fantastic idea and it got me super excited about, uh, star Wars again. Like I was just pumped. I was like, Oh my God, this is great. This is, I've been looking for an excuse to, to read all these books. I have read some of them, but I have nowhere near read all of them yet. And, uh, however (laughs) I do have, I do own almost all of them. Uh, and, Probably after this Christmas, I will own all of them <laughs> uh, because there is actually 151 Star Wars books out there. Official, oh my <laughs> official in chronolo- uh, chronology order made for an, uh, a mat- not mature crowd, but like a regular adult reader. Uh, there is, of course, a lot of young reader books out there and a lot of teen books out there. We're not going to read. We're not going to cover those. Uh, basically if you were to pick up a regular star Wars book on the inside of every single one of them, there is a chart that shows you every book that is out there and when it takes place in the universe and everything like that. And that's the chart we're going to follow. Uh, I might even scan the the most recent chart and put it up on our Facebook page so people can kind of get an idea of how many there are out there. Yeah, no, that's a good idea. I know when you first told me how many there were like, Part of me got really excited, and then part of me died, like all at the same time, because <laughs> we, we were talking about how how often we wanted to try and release one of these shows, or how often we're going to read these books and put it out. Because obviously, reading a comic, you know, that can take you fifteen twenty minutes, maybe less, depending on the comic. Um, whereas reading a novel, you know, yeah. uh, for me, listening to them, they're at least obviously eight to twenty hours long. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, if they're unabridged, and then you know, but reading it, it's kind of take even you know might take even longer than that. Yeah, and I'm a slow reader. I admitted that to Robert, and he's willing to accept that. But I am putting myself on a pace to make sure I'm reading a little bit every single day, uh, to make sure that we're at least covering one of these books a month, if not more than once a month. Uh, right. So then I realized, wait a minute, that is three years of show, <laughs> or, or you know, I mean, more than that, more obviously. Than, yeah. Yeah, well, I don't even want to think about how long. 12 years of shows, right? Yeah. About, so yeah. Um, <laughs> we will, you know, there'll be some where uh, it's either a shorter novel yeah. or we might just happen to be able to get through them quicker depending on, you know, what's going on. But the idea is that we'll start at the beginning. We'll work through it. Well, obviously, I'm I'm in, in it for the long haul. I'm not yeah, going anywhere, I'm hopefully. Not you know? yeah. <laughs> I'm not planning on uh, leaving anytime soon either, so... Yeah, the goal is to get through these. And also, um, before I get into some more information about the books themselves, um, it's also, uh, this is not taking away from us doing the coverage of the G.I. Joe cartoon or any other cartoons in the future. We're still going to do those shows as well. So uh, I know there was some some people questioned about us doing another show. Like, is that going to take away from the cartoon? And it's it's not. So Yeah, I really don't think so. Because like when I... Um like I said, I listen to these books while I'm working anyway, so it's not like I have to take time away from uh, watching the Joe cartoons right. or doing anything else. Like, I'm doing this anyway. Right. And then for you, I'm sure you were reading kind of before you go to bed, oh, yeah. just when you have downtime. And, and so it's not like it's anything we weren't already doing. We just want to make a show out of it. And Yeah, and, of, uh, and realistically, I can, I, like you said, I'm a slow reader, but I can read usually realistically at about 20 pages a day. Um, whether it's I do them all while I'm laying in bed or I do read like 10 pages earlier in the day and 10 pages right before I go to sleep, uh, stuff like that. Um, you know, that's not a problem. And so, and most of these books are like 200 to 300 some pages, somewhere in between there. Some of them are a little bit longer than that, but most of them are right around that range. So that's why I said, there's probably going to be months where we're going to be able to do two books in one month. Uh, if I keep up with that pace of reading. so Well, and apparently, you shouldn't have told me this, because right before we almost recorded this show the first time around, uh, you had to cram in, like, what, 100 and some pages? <laughs> <laughs> so I know it's possible. Yes, that was my own fault. I uh, yeah, I took a few days off of reading, and I knew we were supposed to record, so I was like, okay, let let me get all this done because we, we said we're going to record this day and, and let me get it completed. And I, yeah, I think within 24 to 48 hours, I read about 120 pages. So, right. So I totally made him do that and then I canceled. And then you canceled. I said, (laughs) said, Hey, let's record it. I was like, ah, never mind. We'll do it next week. And he's like, are you kidding me? And then I heard about it all weekend through my text. My text messages were blowing up. My wife was like, what, what is going on? Somebody must have died. I was like, no, I think I just pissed off Ryan. <laughs> well, then you, later on you put me in your pocket and you just ignored me. And Oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> so whenever Ryan starts texting me like crazy, I just turn my phone on silent. Right. Tuck it away somewhere and tell him I forgot where I put it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, there is 151 books. Uh, and chronologically, at least right now, the very first book chronologically is called Star Wars Dawn of the Jedi Into the Void. Uh, and the very last book chronologically right now, and again, this could always change uh, depending on what comes out, but the very last book is uh, Star Wars Crucible. Uh, so uh, out of those 151 books, I do not own six of them. Wow. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I own 145 Star Wars books. Where do you have all these? Are they on bookshelves? Yeah, on the bookshelf. And actually, because we were doing this show, it got me excited. And because I just was randomly putting, as I got them, putting them on a bookshelf. I didn't care about what order they were in. I just put them there. Did you organize I them? I organized them <laughs> according to the order that we have to read them. So I literally can read one book, put it back on the shelf, and grab oh, one right next to it. You just can't help yourself. No, I cannot. Um... <laughs> After this Christmas, uh, I think I will own all 151 books. Um, after that, there's a couple books. There's a few books I would like to actually get in a different format. Uh, I pretty much try, if the book is in hardback, has ever been in hardback version, I try to get it in hardback version. So uh, only I will only get the paperback version if I have no other choice. Um, so there was... Uh, uh, just to give a couple examples, one is the original Star Wars movies. They did re- re-release them in hardback versions, and I thought I had bought them, and evidently I didn't because I can't find them anywhere. So eventually I want to get those, and I can find those on eBay for like 9 bucks a piece. Nice hardcover editions of the original trilogy. Um, and right now I just have like a paperback that has all three movies in it. Oh, okay. And then uh, uh, Kevin J. Anderson's... Uh, Jedi Academy trilogy first came out only in paperback version. And it's one of my favorite stories. Uh, later on, they did a special collected edition in a hardcover version, which I didn't know. And uh, I can find that on eBay for like about 35, 40 bucks. So eventually I'll get that too. But everything else I have, including like I told Robert, probably about 10 to 15 reference books, Star Wars reference books. And then a few other books that are out there. Um, There are actually out of with the 151 books that are out there. There's also two more on the way. (laughs) So there will be 153 books soon. Uh, And there's seven novellas. So uh, there, these novellas are e-books, e-books that are like short stories. Yeah. But they are officially part of this canon that we are going to be reading in the Expanded Universe. So we will actually cover those seven novellas as well. Robert and I agreed that uh, they're important to everything that's going on. They're actually in this chrono- chronology that we're going to be using. So this chart that we're going to use. So we might as well go ahead and read them. So Yeah. Uh, and just kind of to give an idea, too, of... Um, basic format of the show you know we will do a summary of the book uh we aren't going to go over it so extensively uh, that we have a three-hour show obviously but or also that we you know take away from the enjoyment of reading it yourself uh at the same time obviously there'll be spoilers because we're going to talk about each book in its entirety uh we're going to talk about the things we like about the characters or how the character develops so what i would suggest is if you want to read along with us uh we will you know the title, I would say the title of the book we're going to be talking about, it will be in you know the the title of the show, or at least the description of the yeah. show. Yep. And then so you can know that, read the book, then listen to the show, and kind of get our thoughts on it. Um, and, I will you know, also, and then I will also have the cover of the book as the image right. for the episode as well. So um, so you'll know what to kind of look for uh, to know if you have the right book or not. So. Um, and this is really meant to be something w- that people could, if they're interested in the book but they haven't read it yet, they can read it and then come back and listen to us. Or they can listen to us to see if they think it's something they're interested in uh, with the warning that there are going to be spoilers. 
Right. Um, but like Robert said, there's so many little minute details and, and things that the authors go on tangents about and everything else that we're not covering. We're covering basically the main gist of the story, uh, that you'll get a lot out of it. Um, we're also going to tie the books into, uh, extra little factoids, like about the, that era of Star Wars and, maybe some other things about certain characters that were mentioned that were not covered in the book uh, or comics that are tied into these books. Cause one thing to know about the EU when it comes to star Wars is that they're very good um, in general about tying in the comics and the books to each other. Now you can read them separately, but when you read them both, you do get a lot more out of, out of it. So Couple of, just a couple other things before we actually jump into our first book. Uh, one is before uh, 1992, there really wasn't a whole lot of Star Wars books out there. There was, uh, I think, maybe three books out there. Uh, one was called Splinter of the Mind's Eye, which will be in this chronology. They actually did fit it into the chronology of the books that we're going to be covering. Uh, that came out in, uh, in 1986. Uh, and then there was also the adventure, the Han Solo adventures, and then there was also the land, uh, the Lando Calrissian adventures. Those were pretty much the only three books out there for the longest time. That, that just really amazes me that you had, you know, uh, you know, at least just even that many years yeah. where there wasn't. I don't know if it was that. Uh, I mean, do you know any of the backstory? Like, was there? No. Uh, just. I mean, I I can only think that. Maybe Lucas was trying to decide on, do I let people explore this universe that's not me? You know yeah. what I mean? Um, and, you know, exactly finalizing that marriage between allowing other people to take this resource and then how much of that do I allow to affect well, you know, the greater canon all that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, and remember, too, originally his grand story was a nine-part story. So there was a, a possibility that maybe he felt like, well, I don't want anyone else to write stories in this time period because I don't know if I'm going to do more movies. Um, right. And maybe finally when, you know, 19, the 1990s came about, he finally said, you know, I'm, I don't want to do any more star Wars movies right now. So let them go ahead and, and see what they can do. Everything had to be approved. Um, right. So, and they have, you know, full time, uh, editors and people on board to make sure everything fits yep. and works and is approved. And way. it's amazing because a lot of the authors work with each other too, which is just fantastic. And you're going to see a lot of the same names come up. And a lot of times when you open up the covers of the books where they have dedications or thanks, special thanks to, you'll see other authors' names being mentioned and things like that. Um, it's really amazing, especially in some of the books, like how cohesive it is to other books or the comics. Uh, there's just a lot of direct ties. Uh, to give you an example, again, to me- uh, a book I mentioned before was the Kevin J. Anderson Jedi Academy trilogy. Ties directly into the Dark Empire comics. Now, he wrote the Dark Empire comics also, so it makes sense. But, yeah. but you'll be amazed at how much of, like, literally one ends and the other one picks up where, the, where it ended. <laughs> so, and, yeah, that's, and that's comic to book. So, um so it's really, really interesting. Um, and you're going to see it with this book also uh, that we're going to cover today, the Dawn of the Jedi book. There is a tie to the comics uh, that we'll mention. Um, but where the Star Wars books really kicked off and became really popular was when Timothy Zahn did Heir to the Empire, which came out in May of 1992. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember going into my local comic shop. This is how I found out that Star Wars books were even coming out. Went into my local comic shop to buy some comics and saw this book sitting on the shelf. And I was like, Star Wars book? What is this? And I pick it up and I was like, it's a, it was a book book. And I was like, uh, do I want a book book? <laughs> and, uh, and I saw it was 20 some dollars and I was like, I don't know if I want to buy this. I don't have the money for this right now. But then I thought, you know what? No, I love Star Wars. Let me go ahead and, and I'll save up for it. So I went back and I bought that book and it was probably maybe a year after it came out or something like that. And then I read it and didn't realize it was a trilogy. And, uh, and then eagerly was waiting for the next one to come out and bought that one and bought the next one. And I was like, holy crap, this is amazing. And then from that, then on, I was hooked. And every time a book came out, I was buying it. So since 1992, I've been collecting these books. So it's not like I got the 145 books that I have just in the past year. (laughs) He got this amazing eBay lot, everything. No, I, and, and I'm kind of, I came into it where I was actually started listening or reading the books, um, you know, much later. It was kind of probably early 2000s mm-hmm. when um, I was still a student in, in college and, and um, like, you know, just as I, again, I was, I was working through projects and drawing a lot. I was like, hey, I'm going to start listening to books. And so I list, those were actually the very first three books I listened to was the Timothy, Timothy Zahn trilogy. And I was like, what have I been missing? Like, <laughs> holy crap. And then this set the bar apparently right. for what I thought every single Star Wars book the quality level was. No, and I was quickly disappointed. <laughs> so I then moved on to others. I was like, womp womp womp. Now there are some other books that are absolutely <laughs> fantastic. Oh, no, that's true. No, they're, they're, yeah, I mean it's but, yeah. you hit the whole range of. I mean, obviously you have different authors and different. They're, they're dealing with different subject matters and uh, you know all that kind of thing, but. No, I mean, yeah, and I mean, for me, I'm glad I started with those because yeah. that's how everybody started with, for the most part, yeah. that expanded universe. And so, um, and to be perfectly honest, if that wasn't done as well as it had been done, I don't know if we would have had all these books come out. I mean, it really hit Star Wars fans on a really positive note, as it should. It was it was a fantastic trilogy. Uh, that we will eventually in the next 10 years get to. Um, <laughs> you know, it kind of makes it a little sad how far away it's going to be. But, but we'll get to it. it'll be worth it. And then there's been books. I mean, there's been books based on the video games that are in this chronology. There's books that were there was whole, you know, uh, marketing campaigns around certain books. I mean, we'll get into those when we reach those books. But there was like, I mean, some of these were almost treated as if they were as big as the movie coming out. So, yeah, um, just where there's got like a release and and all the Lucas, you know, PR campaign behind it, you know, just really pumping it up to the Star Wars fans. There was just looking for new content. How big it got with some books. There was a book that actually had its own soundtrack. Like 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 a movie style soundtrack actually came out on CD. And yes, I do own it. So it was uh, the Shadows of the Empire book that came out that takes place between. Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. And it was made such a big deal that they actually did a video game based on it, uh, action figures based on it, and a music soundtrack based on it. Wow, yeah. So to give you an idea how some some of these books how big some of these books actually get. So Well, and I was saying real quick too, like according to the soundtrack, like you I mean, you'll be bringing a lot of this cool kind of uh, background data and information about 
uh, Star Wars. But and then from my end of it, the really cool thing about Star Wars audiobooks is they have a definitive sound. Yeah, I mean because they incorporate multiple actors uh, at times. Sometimes it's just one single narrator who reads the book. But uh, there's always the sound effect, classic sound effects from Star Wars incorporated into it. And so it, it definitely becomes an experience. Now, some people may like that or not like it compared to just listening to somebody read the book. Right. But um, but we can kind of always talk about that, too, as we get into it. Like, yeah. uh, I think sometimes it's done well and sometimes better than others. Absolutely. So be- Absolutely. And that'll be the interesting com- uh, thing that we talked about is that uh, both of us are coming. Most times are going to be coming from a different perspective on the book. And we're also going to be coming from a, a different knowledge background when it comes to the books. Right. Also. So so let's uh, without further ado, let's jump into our first book here, uh, which is uh Star Wars Dawn of the Jedi Into the Void. It's by uh, Tim Lebon, L-E-B-B-O-N. Uh, I assume that's how it's pronounced. Uh, it came out in May of 2013. Uh, and this book does have ties, in, and we'll talk about it a little bit later, but does have ties into a comic series by the same name of Dawn of the Jedi. So, mm-hmm. uh, so And what's its uh, chronological date? Its chronological date is, let me take a look here. That's the great thing about this this chart is it tells you the exact date of when these of uh, stories take place. This one was twenty five thousand seven hundred and ninety three years before Star Wars: A New Hope. So, <laughs> which is, I mean, this is I mean the first book of a series, and it's taking a huge leap. I mean, this is twenty thousand years before the oldest previously written book, yep. right? Yep. Because the the old Republic era starts at five thousand before the Battle of Yavin. Yep. And the other interesting thing with this is that, uh, even though chronologically this book takes place that long ago, obviously it just came out in May of 2013. It, <laughs> uh, publishing wise, Star Wars is just getting into this time period of Star Wars. So even though right. it's taking place so many years chronologically, it's actually a brand new territory that they're starting to explore. And we'll get into that here in the book, but um, it, what I find is it just really opens it up for them to explore so much more about, you know, they're not kind of pigeonholed into the dogma of, of the Jedi or, yeah. or you know, previous customs or traditions because they can say this is what it was before. You know, yeah. this is the working from the ground up. So it's really neat. Yeah. It gives them a lot of options. So um, just like in the past uh, on our cartoon episodes, I have very short summaries about each chapter and Robert will jump in with anything that's kind of stood out to him as he was listening to the book and everything. Um, but I just want to mention some of the main characters that you're going to hear us talk about. Uh, the, the main character is Lenori Brock, B R O C K. Uh, and, and the narrator pronounced it Lannery. Lannery. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And that, but that, I mean, that may or may not always be right. It's, I, I know whenever I listen to a book, uh, or if I read it first and I listen to a book and they pronounce it different than I say it in my head, it drives me insane. <laughs> like, I almost can't listen to it anymore. Well, then you'll probably notice I'll say uh, Lenore a lot. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. But, that's fine. Uh, but no, like, that, who are you talking about? <laughs> that's another uh, great thing with you listening to the book is you'll hear actual pronunciations of some of the characters yeah. and everything. So, yeah. um, But she's a, a, a Jedi. I don't know how they pronounce it for the audio. It's At first, I thought she had a speech impediment. She's like, Jedi. <laughs> I was like... Is this like some uh, you know Middle Eastern lady reading this book? Like I didn't know yeah what, where it was coming from, but she was like Jedi or Jedi or Jedi or Jedi. It's J E apostrophe D A I I. 
So yeah, so I mean, it's spelled the different. So it's obviously has the is the root word for Jedi or you know what it used to be said. Or, right, and there's anyway, actual but, meaning behind what it, it means, and we'll get into that once we cover the book itself, um, where it comes from. But uh, she's a Jedi Ranger uh, and mm-hmm. Journeyer. She's a f- uh, female human. Uh, her brother is uh, Dalian Brock. Uh, Dalian, yeah. And, or, uh, yeah. He he's her brother. Um, and then there's Tresana, uh, which it, he's a Twi'lek. And yeah, and she called him Tree. Okay. Was Tree Sana. Okay. Yeah. And then Dam Powell, uh, which is yeah. a Jedi Master, and she uh, she was the trainer, one of the trainers for uh, Lenori. So. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have uh, Master La Mi, which was a, a temple master and kind of the big, kind of like what Yoda we. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in in the grand scheme of things, it's like the head person, but it's uh, a Dai Bendu male is what La Mi is. So, uh, and we'll get into other characters as, as we go along, but those are some of the main characters that take uh, that are in this story. Uh, we also have that uh, Lannery, <laughs> Lenori Lannery, uh, flies yeah. a ship called the Peacemaker. Uh, yeah. And uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later as well. And then she has a droid that's a Hol- Holgorian IM-220 model, and she calls it Ironholds. Right, which she's customized. Because I think either on this planet or this area of the of the galaxy or whatever, whatever you want to call it like droids are very just functional yeah. things you know they are they're used for mundane purposes and um she's got this droid where it's kind of he's beefed more, up where it has heavy heavily armored it's heavily weaponed yep he's he's more uh and he's he's had a lot of upgrades and everything else um and she uses it more as a sidekick at times yeah as opposed to just a, you know some maintenance droid that she has on her ship and, and i thought this might be helpful for the listeners too um and you can agree or disagree with me when it comes to these characters like i i kind of try to relate some of these characters to to characters that we know from the movies mm-hmm. um so like i said i mentioned lami reminded me of a yoda type character right um i felt that uh Lenori was, uh, or Lannery was, uh, almost a combination of Leia, Han, and Luke all at different times. Like, she had moments where she, she reminded me of certain characters. Uh, she even had a moment where she said that she doesn't like being told the odds, which <laughs> cracked me up, so. Well, I, I think it's classic, and we'll see this over and over again, where they take those, those famous classic lines. quotes, yeah. you know, and kind of feed them throughout, but. Yeah. Um, and then, I uh, think. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, and then uh, Dalian, uh, her brother, reminded me a little bit of the, the darker side of Anakin when, that we saw in Revenge yeah. of the Sith. Um, and then Tresana was interesting, uh, or Tresana. Uh, he at times reminded me of C-3PO, where he was kind of wussy and wimpy. <laughs> and then later on, he reminded me of Lando Calrissian, where he had all these connections, and he's the guy that gets things yeah. done and stuff like that. So I thought that was an interesting combination. And then uh, Dan Powell reminded me of like an Obi-Wan Kenobi character. Uh, and then Iron Hulks, of course, reminded me of R2-D2 because he had attitude uh, at certain moments right. of the story. So, Well, and just a, kind of my thoughts on some of the things you've already just briefly mentioned was, you know, that they have different kind of classifications of what a Jedi is. Like they don't necessarily call somebody in training a Padawan. Right. Um, they're called a journeyer, right. which means that they're going to go to, we'll get into this, but into different locations to help kind of teach them on their way to becoming a Jedi. 
Um, uh, so they're called journeyers. She's uh, classified as a ranger, which I found very interesting because yeah. whenever you hear ranger, you think of those classic uh, fantasy novels yeah, yeah. like, you know, like the Lord of the Rings or just those fantasy books where that's a classification of a type of, uh, you know, journeyer, woodsman, you know, somebody who exactly. is, um, you know, skilled in fighting, but is willing, you know, able to live uh, alone and, and, you know, take care of themselves and help others, that kind of thing. And I don't know about um, you, but those were always the most interesting characters to me. Oh, by far. And I think that applies to Jedi's really well. Yeah. So I, I thought that was a good fit. Um, you know, Lannery, she's in her mid 20s. Like you said, she's human. Um, they also describe the way she dressed as kind of like she's not really dressed as a traditional Jedi with the stoic robes or you know kind of folded over, you know, almost karate gi type, mm-hmm. you know, samurai type um, dress. It's um, she's got like just kind of leather pants, a jerkin. You know, she has an actual physical sword on her hip yeah. uh, that she's very you know skilled in as a martial artist. Um, but again, but there's, you know. The Jedi on this planet, they do not have lightsabers. You know, it's just she's very skilled in the Force, and we'll talk about how specifically skilled she is. But uh, when it comes to what the weapon she has on her, I think it's just the sword. Yep. And it's interesting, too, because the lightsabers come into effect in the comics later on. Uh, so this story, just to let people know, if you're reading the, the Dawn of the Jedi comics, this story actually takes place before those comics. Yeah, because, I mean, I don't know how much we want to... We'll get to it at the end. We'll we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, Um, The other thing is just this area of the galaxy, it's called the territory called the Typhon system. And uh, the story, what, starts on a planet Tythos. Yeah. And actually... kind of the central planet, right? Yeah, and I actually have, uh, if you'll indulge me, it's a little bit lengthy, not super lengthy to read, but the very first few pages of uh, Dawn of the Jedi Force Storm, the comic sets up this time period really well. Um, so if you would indulge me, I could read this just hopefully real quick. Uh, yeah, and, and it'll touch on a lot of things that we're going to touch on in the story. So it says, um, and keeping in mind that this story is being told by someone in the time period of Dawn of the Jedi. So he references 10,000 years ago, but he's talking about 35,000 years before the Battle of Yavin. So, So he says, our story begins a long, long time ago on planets far, far away, 10,000 years before our time. For a millennium high in the snowy Andobi Mountains of Ando Prime, the Dai Bendu attended a massive edifice they called the Tho Yor. Uh, The monks knew the Tho Yor was not of their world. Within its sealed structure, they sensed great mysteries waiting to be revealed. And so the Dai Bendu waited. They contemplated and meditated and listened with their minds and hearts as well as their senses. One day the Thoyor spoke to them. They heard the call in their hearts, in their minds, not with words yet as a voice, heard in stillness when all was in balance, an invitation. There were no questions among the died and do. This was their moment. This was the moment for which all their training had prepared them. This was the fulfillment of prophecy. The Dai Bendu entered the Thoyor following that prophecy and found revelation. Seven other Thoyors repeated the pattern throughout the galaxy. On Kashyyyk, Wookiee warriors defending the Mystic Pyramid heard the call and found peace. On Dathomir, shamans and seers encountered the Thoyor in dreams and visions. The Thoyor sang to them. They followed the song and found harmony. On Ryloth, Twi'lek uh, philosophers debating the source of the mystical energy 
they felt surrounding them, heard the tho- uh, the call of the Thoyor, and left the safety of their caves to venture into the desert. By instinct, they knew the answers they saw beyond their world. They entered the Thoyor and found enlightenment. Anon, Selkath scholars and scientists paused in their studies as the doors of the great Thoyor opened. They entered and found wisdom. The eight Thoyors visited many worlds, gathering other sentients who heard the call, then sped towards the center of the galaxy within the deep core uh, where dark matter causes stars to collide and space can warp in the blink of an eye. The Thoyor navigated the twisted paths between black holes and stars, arriving at their final destination, the planet Titan, where the ships gathered around the ninth and largest of the Thoyor. The planet heralded their arrival with great storms. On this world, the travelers felt the energy that surrounded them, the same mystical primal energy, the same force that had first called them to the Thoyor. On that day, the travelers became as one in the force. The Thoyor left the central pyramid to take the travelers to their new homes in this strange world. One in the force, these travelers from diverse and distant worlds also became one people. They became Titans. Um, and then it goes on from there. Uh, I don't want to keep reading it, but it's talking about what brought them to this this world. Uh, it also gets into talking about the despot wars, which are brought up in this book and gives a synopsis of what happened. Um, yeah, because it wasn't they they do talk about the despot war over and over again. It's uh, the despot wars take place 12 years before this story starts. Yeah. So it's not like thousands of years ago. Like this is a recent within uh, Lannery's you know, lifespan. She was like eight or 10, you know, yep. when, when the, when these wars started. Um, and there's a and, lot of station from it. A lot of Jedi lost their lives. Um, right. And, it, it was, a, it was a big where, you know, in the despot wars, a lot of battle droids were used yep. and, you know, fought the Jedi. And so, um, and it was basically, I mean, a, a best way to describe it was basically like, uh, crime bosses trying to gain territory and the Jedi yeah. trying to, to stop, this one main one from really taking over everything. Um, she rallied like a bunch of uh, people around her and everything else. And, um, yeah, but which in the book I like because they just briefly mention it early on. Yeah. And then as the book goes along, they, they kind of give out a little more snippets of the, the desperate wars and obviously leaves it wide open for them to do another book series yeah. or a book, at least a single book about it. And the interesting that, thing too is that they don't even go into it in the comics. They, they talk about it as much in the comics as they do in the book. And um, and like I said, it's probably the first like ten pages of this first issue uh, called Dawn of the Jedi Force Storm that you really just get an overview. So like you said, they could. It's almost like when the Clone Wars were mentioned in the first Star Wars movie. It, it was mentioned. Yeah. Everyone wondered what were the Clone Wars and stuff like that. Well, they could do the same thing here, where it's the Despot Wars, and they can go back about it. Um, exactly. The other thing I found very interesting about this time period that's mentioned in the comic is that, uh, they mentioned the planet Tatooine. And they say, Tatooine, a lush world where twin suns warm fair skies, <laughs> uh, a thriving world where the the Kumaga live peacefully in the gleaming cities alongside its blue seas. That's amazing. That's pretty cool. So at the in this time period, 25 some thousand years ago, uh, Tatooine was actually like an ocean world. <laughs> so, 
Wow, that's that's yeah. I see. I think that's pretty neat yeah. where they kind of throw in those little just little snippets. Yep. But um, all right, so we'll get in right into the chapters here. And like I said, Robert, feel free to to jump in with anything that stood out. Uh, the yeah. early oh, chapter- just one one yeah. wait one little last little thing. Yeah. Basically, this Typhon system is space locked. Yeah. It's kind of like having a landlocked country, you know, where it's not open really open to people traveling in and out of it. So even though it's in outer space, they don't have you know, people coming in in starships you know, all the time, um, you know, transporting aliens and goods and all this kind of stuff. It's very kind of self-dependent uh, and self-reliant. Um, you do have a mix of races, like because of what you just explained, right. they were kind of transported here 10,000 years ago. Yep. So you have Twi'leks and, and you have Wookiees and humans yep. and um, and different things. But uh, but that for the most part, they are unaware of the greater galaxy, Yeah, and- which is amazing that they have... Uh, an understanding of Jedi and they have their own kind of class system based around that, which is fairly similar to the rest of the galaxy. But again, without having contact with the, the, and everybody else. And important for this story also is that um, there were whispers and rumors of a a group of people known as the Gree, G R E E, just like commander Gree from the clone wars um, of this people known as the Gree that actually had developed the technology for hypergate systems. Uh, but right, then it was right. kind of just dismissed that, you know, and eliminated. And, and there's now it's just kind of rumors. It's kind of myths that are out there. And that plays a big factor in this story. Um, the other thing to keep in mind with this time period is, and I think this is very important is there's not uh, light and dark Jedis. In fact, to be a Jedi means that you have balance between both good, the light side and the dark side. See, I think this is actually one of the most interesting aspects to the book, where it just really opens up a floodgates of looking at the Jedi in a new light. Yeah. I think um, it, it even ties into Anakin bringing back balance to the Force, yeah, yeah. because the idea is that these Jedi have to train in both. They understand the um, uh, the dangers of the dark side, but they are in no way told not to use it. In fact, they're encouraged as these journeyers or Padawans, basically, to find that balance, yeah. to really don't be, go too to be far the, one way or exactly. the other. So to be the epitome of a Jedi, you have to use both equally because they each have various strengths, you know, that you can pull on. And there are times where she's using the dark side of the force. Um, obviously being a Jedi in good standing, using the dark side of the force. And then she has been taught and recognizes when she's about to cross the line right. and then pulls back. And, uh, and I just find that amazing. And, oh, it's fan- and it's very, it yeah. shows it allows her to be incredibly powerful, at least have a ton of potential, even more so than some of the, uh, you know, the Jedi that kind of we're more familiar with. So I'm excited to see where they take that. Yeah, and, and it's, how it's almost interesting because it. uh, Mace Windu had made a comment saying, you think this is the one that's bringing balance to the force. And it's almost like, yeah, he's going to bring the dark side to show you that you should have been following both sides all along. Um, yeah. And it also reminds me too of dark empire, the comic series, because Luke felt the need to learn about the dark side in order to be a stronger Jedi. Yeah. And he wouldn't have done that except for his father. Right. Exactly. You know what I mean? That obviously pushed him to, to think about it and to recognize it. Whereas if he was just taught by Yoda or just taught by, you know, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, he would have been told to completely be averse to it, you know, and, and not, but obviously taking, you know, that influence from Anakin, who, again, brought balance that force and allowed for that. So that was really so, cool. Yeah, love. So it's interesting that, you know, basically without them knowing it, they were going back to the roots of being a Jedi, which is to have yeah. both sides. So. 
Tooncast is dedicated to the cartoons we grew up with. 100 episodes and more make up one of the GCRN's most popular podcasts. Join hosts TFG and Mike, Optimus Solo, Terror the Rising Star, and tons of guest hosts. We also have voice actor and writer interviews. Tune in to Tooncast as we look back on the cartoons that defined us as geeks. You can find Tooncast on iTunes and the web at www.geekcastradio.com. Tune in. Movie Week in Review is the GeekCast Radio Network's weekly movie podcast. Steve and Mike take a look back on their favorite films and give you their thoughts. They also bring in co-hosts at times. If you are a movie buff, listen to M-Wire only on GeekCastRadio.com. Hey, I'm Gary. I'm Mike. I'm Chuck. And I'm Justin. Join the four of us every week on the Internet's number one and longest-running G.I. Joe podcast, What's on Joe Mind? It's Joe news, reviews, and interviews like you've never heard them before, delivered right to your MP3 player. Our guests include Jason Marsden, Kevin Michael Richardson, and Matt Yang King from G.I. Joe Renegades, Larry Hama, Robert Atkins, and John Barber from IDW Publishing, and many more from around the online Joe community. Yeah, it's guys talking about Joe. Think of it as Joe talk meets sports talk. And we make fun of Chuck. Right. And we hey again. Come on, Chuck. We're just kidding, kinda. Sometimes Chuck makes fun of himself. Right. And we okay. Seriously, this is just getting ridiculous now. It's what's on Joe Mind every week on the Geekcast Radio Network, InsidePulse.com, Stitcher Smart Radio, and iTunes. Download and listen today. I suppose I still can't say something about Transformers, can I? Good. No. What about sports? That sounds good. Yeah, that's all right. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, the next chapter in the Star Wars saga, Revenge of the Jedi. The battle between good and evil rages on. Join the further adventures of Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, Princess Leia, Lando Calrissian, Chewbacca, C-3PO and R2-D2, and Darth Vader. A journey to alien worlds. against oppression an epic of heroes and villains an adventure as vast as the universe Revenge of the Jedi coming May 25th to a theater in your galaxy Um, so going into chapter one uh, and you'll find that the early chapters I don't have a lot written about, and the later chapters I have a little bit more because it gets more intense and there's more involved <laughs> later on. Yeah, so. there's, kind of, again, there's kind of a lot of setup in these initial yeah. chapters, and we've talked about some of that already. Yeah, so, so, so we have uh, Lenore, uh, or I'll say Lannery. Lannery. You say it however you want to say it. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Lannery is brought in by the Master's, uh, master's Council to look into, the mat, uh, into a matter and bring someone in. She doesn't know who yet. Uh, the matter is... Someone is searching for information and locations of hypergates. 
they're believed to be nothing but tales of, of uh, by most people. Uh, and the person that she has to bring in is Dalian, which is actually uh, Lenori's brother, a long, uh, long thought to be dead at this point in the story. And then they start calling him Dale just as a, yeah. that's what she calls him for short. And so kind of refer to him as Dale pretty soon. Yeah, I and, always called him Dal because it was like Hal, H-A-L-D-A-L is how. Oh, okay. Yeah, she it. called him. Yeah. It's it's funny because as I was taking notes, I spelled her name L-A-N-E-R-Y, like Lannery. <laughs> and I spelled his name D-A-L-E, like Dale, because that's how she pronounced it. But whatever. So Dal, Dalin, Lenore, yeah, whatever you want to however. Say. So then we have chapter two is Lenore and, and Dalian as kids. So we get a flashback uh, are sent out on a journey to the Padawan temple that they will train at. Uh, the journey takes them through jungles and deserts. And Lenore actually saves Dalian using force to uh, push against what's known as hook hawks, which are these bird type things that attack. Uh, Dalian saves Lenore later in the desert uh, by using a blaster against a silic lizard. Uh, and then they arrive at the temple of Kigong Kesh, which is one of the temples that they, they visit. Now, this, this again, I thought was really interesting because uh, you know, throughout the course of the book, there's, a, there's always this flashback where it flashes back to their training and it gives you a sense of the relationship she has with her brother. Yeah. Um, and then it cuts back to the current time period where she's chasing after her brother. So it, yeah. I didn't mind the flat, like sometimes flashbacks get on my nerves in books and I didn't mind it so much here because I thought as you went through the series, you learn more about each character yeah. and their And it worked for the story because it showed him getting darker and darker. Not, I mean, we're going to be giving stuff away anyways, but not to give too much away, but he, he gets darker and darker as we go on yeah. the story and it kind of shows that progression and, and could you have done it where you showed him from kids and then worked all the way through to the adult? Hood, yeah, but then that might make for a boring read because it's a little too straightforward. So, yeah, I like being introduced to her at, at her current age and older and, and proficient, and then going back and learning more. I didn't mind that. The other thing I liked was how they jumped or they established how a, a Padawan is taught or, or these journeyers are taught. They basically send them out on their own to travel between these temples. Yeah, and the and they could the distances die. they have to travel and the obstacles they have to face, whether it's like wild animals or you know, any, anything are basically like mini Jedi trials, yeah. you know, just to even get them to the next temple. They're on their own to do it. Yeah. So they have, they, they learn a certain level of survival training and life and death experiences, just getting from temple to temple. Yeah. And there's then many that he, don't make it. So. Exactly. I mean, that's, that's where, you know, kind of the cream of the crop come through and they actually become masters because they were able to survive. Yeah. Uh, and then each temple has, it specializes in a subject. So you'll have science, you'll have the arts, you have martial arts or fighting, you have temple, a temple for philosophy. Yeah. And this entire journey takes two years. Yeah. So that's the training time where you go from temple to temple. You, you spend a certain amount of time at that temple learning. And then you have Jedi masters in the arts, which I found was really interesting or specific to martial arts or specific yeah. to sciences and, uh, you know, obviously philosophy or the more spiritual aspects of being a Jedi. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was very cool yeah, was very take cool. on it. It was very cool. Um, so then we get into chapter three, and we have adult Lenore meets uh, Tresana, who said that he uh, knows of people who have uh, blueprints for what drives the hypergates. Uh, and he reveals that what drives them is known as dark matter, which, again, has been kind of a myth that's out there um, or believed to be a myth. 
Uh, he will make contact and they will meet up again later is what he tells Lenore. And Tresan is, is a contact that master Dan Powell, which was Lenore, one of Lenore's trainers, uh, had told, had guided Lenore to meet up with. She's like, meet this contact of mine. He's a Twi'lek. He actually has three, uh, they're called Leku, which are the tendrils instead yeah. of just two. Uh, so he kind of stands out, um, uh, because of that. Uh, but he, he says, well, I, I think I know someone that can get you those blueprints or, or connect you with who knows someone that knows something about them. So, uh, he tells them well, and, they'll meet up later about that. And, and he's, he's kind of described to Landry as like a shady character that, you know, Dan Powell would have arrested him and taken him in earlier, you know, except that she found that he could be useful for his contacts and using him as like a, a source, you know, for information. And it's neat to kind of see when Lannery first meets him, he, he doesn't seem terribly intimidating no. or, you know, like like uh, a cold hearted, you know, hearted criminal or anything like that. But then we kind of see glimpses of this type of character throughout. And it's it, his I think his character arc is actually the most interesting of the book. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I really enjoyed his character and how he changed through the book because uh, right. it seemed very natural. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, li- I really like Lannery's character, the idea of a ranger and the Jedi out on their own to take care of business. Uh, and that's somebody you can really get behind and like. But as far as character arc and the character that's the most intriguing, I think he kind of fits that yep. role. Um, so then we get a flashback uh, to Lannery and Dalian uh, training under Master Turkey, who's a uh, he's a male uh, human. So uh, Lannery is... Uh, learning quickly, but Dalian is resisting, and he becomes angry when the Force is used on him. So he he doesn't like the Force. Yeah, Dale Dale he's he's always pushing against it. If people are trying. I mean, um, their parents are Jedi masters, yep. and so they come from this lineage of being able to touch the Force and and manipulate it. Yep. And so everybody's expecting a lot out of him, and he just. The more that's expected of him, the more he pushes against it and becomes more and more agitated by it. Yeah. And then in the uh, the present day, we have uh, uh, Lenore discovers that a Nogri, uh, which is a type of species in Star Wars, uh, is following her. But before she can get information from him, he detonates himself. Uh, and the thing I found interesting with the Nogri is the Nogri is a species that was first introduced in the Timothy Zahn trilogy. They were nowhere in Star Wars other than the EU. Oh, yeah. So yeah, yeah. Um, so you will definitely see the Nogri mentioned, at least in those books, if not other books that we'll come across as well. Um, after the incident, Lenori speaks to a Sith uh, named Captain Loras. And keeping him, this is another thing to keep in mind. At this time period, the Sith are not the Dark Jedis. The Sith They're is, just a species. It's a species, right. Uh, they're kind how, of, how would you describe the way they look? They're kind of they're very distinct. Yeah, they're red skinned, uh, and they have these little, um, like fleshy tusk things coming off of their chins. Yeah, uh, that's the best way to describe them, I guess. It's it's they're red humanoids, but they have these like little tendril type things coming off of each side of their chin. Yeah. So I don't know if there's any other way to describe them other than that, but. Uh, but yeah, they're just a species. The, the Sith, it, it does not mean uh, a dark Jedi yet. So, uh, so Captain Loras tells her that someone named Kara might uh, know about the Stargazers cult uh, that her brother is a part of. 
Uh, Trey tells Lenore that he can arrange a meeting with this Kara. Uh, and then we get a glimpse into the past of uh, where uh, Dal is saved from a fiery uh, Tyga, T-Y-G-A-H, by Lenore using the Force. But he shows more anger at the Force, and, Len- and Lenore starts to fear that her brother uh, is starting to show a darker side to himself. Yeah, that's, this is kind of the the real initial. Like we get a sense of they're them separating as yep. you know, being really tight knit brother or sister, and the force is what's in between them. Yep. And then we get uh, in chapter five, we get Lenore and Trey meet with uh, Kara, and she's a very large, rich woman, <laughs> <laughs> and they really well, that, stress that like she is she is in that she's huge. She's so huge, but also to a point where she almost doesn't even see seem human anymore yeah um, um I, f- I found this really interesting that um there's a few things <laughs> in my notes i said Kara is a fat jedi woman she's rich she's the first hut <laughs> that's the picture i got in my head too exactly it was like a female like, hut that had legs <laughs> java no java <laughs> yeah no i um well a few a few couple i don't know if they were in these early chapters um but as they were lo- her and tree were walking around looking for people or you know, just I got a sense that Lanery was really confident in her abilities. Yes, like she she knew what she could accomplish. She could um, manipulate people's minds. Um, she was this here where she like knocks out that heat generator. Uh, I think so. Yeah, yeah. She she just does it with a thought. Yeah, like and she just kind of basically completely takes it. She could shield herself. Yes, and walk through a heat wall. You know, like like almost a force field that she could just shield herself with the force almost like a force field itself and then just be able to pass through objects because of it um and uh the other kind of thing too was that uh there's a lot of genetic altering that goes on so they said yokara could have genetically altered her body to make so that she wouldn't be so fat um you know obviously like we have kind of liposuction and things like now you know kind of cosmetic surgery type things but they can even genetically alter themselves um, but that she just didn't care. She liked that about herself. Yeah. Um, but also that people could be genetically altered to keep their minds from being read yes. by Jedi, which tree is this twilight. That's her companion is one of these characters that yeah. you, she can't get a read on him. Yep. She can't read his mind or manipulate him. And I think it's interesting too. You said that, uh, Lannery is very, uh, she's very confident early in the book and can pretty much do anything. And, and I felt like tree or Trey is very, not that he's not very confident. And it's almost like as the story goes on, they almost switch roles. Yeah, that, that's true. That is really interesting. Um, he becomes well, it, a lot it depends on their environment yeah. too. Like, cause when they go to that one world, you know, where he has more experience there and we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing is while they were kind of leading up to meeting Kara for the first time is they come across these gladiatorial like knife fights. Yeah. Um, and I remember that from the, the old Republic video game. Do you remember? Oh yeah. Did you play that? Yeah. Oh yeah. Or you, you could like fight in the, in the, in the, the games the arenas, or yeah yeah the arenas and so this is where i first saw that you, you had altered humans because there was one guy who had extra arms or right. extra limbs like grafted onto his body that would work yep. and i was like i don't remember that being a huge part of star wars so i found that really interesting yeah no it never really was but um but obviously everybody brings their own little bit to it and they mm-hmm. uh to make it kind of their own and everything but uh in in this story so we have their up in uh kara's tower and this makes Trey very uncomfortable because he doesn't like heights. Um, <laughs> and it's a glass floor, I think. Is it, so you can like look down and see everything below you. 
Um, and it was uncovered that Kara m- may have been a Jedi at one time. Yeah. Uh, she refused to speak anymore once Gree technology was actually mentioned. So Tree <laughs> actually zapped her, knocking her out. <laughs> I mean, he just, like, out of the blue, just, like, yeah. just... <laughs> like, Lenore was trying to still, like, coax and work it, and he's like, yeah, you're not getting anywhere, zap. <laughs> yeah, so he's totally a shoot-first kind of character. Yeah, so then we have uh, Lannery <laughs> and Tree uh, search the room, and uh, Lannery f- finds a book in a secret room. Uh, they escape by crashing out a window and landing on Lannery's ship. That was called uh, that was called upon. She basically called out to Iron Hogs and had the pe- her peacemaker ship come and, and pick them up as they're falling to their doom. Right. Uh, well, this is the first time too they talk about like because uh, Kara when they were initially in Kara's apartment, like these battle droids came out and they had to fight these battle droids off. Yeah. And that's when they first mentioned that battle droids fought Jedi back in the Despot Wars. Yeah. And all that kind of stuff too. But yeah. uh, the book was at, she actually finds out was the journal of someone named. Osmael or Asamal or who lived 9,000 years before and went down to explore an area called the old city. Uh, and he was never to be seen again. So he was actually, yeah. he was actually researching this Gree technology, uh, and went into an area called the old city that's in, it's on Titan. So, uh, then we get into chapter six and we have, uh, Lannery and Dal are in the past uh, there in the past are at the at Stav Kesh, which is the martial arts temple uh, for training. Uh, they are trained by Master Tave, who is a Nogri. So we actually have a Nogri who is a Jedi. And uh, Dal appears to enjoy the training, except for the parts relating to the Force. So he's really getting into this whole fighting and every combat and everything else. But anytime he's being asked to use the Force in it, he that's when he turns away. Yeah. Uh, in the present, uh, Lannery makes a call to Dan Powell to report her current findings. She reports that the Stargazers may have found Gree technology, which uh, was thought, uh, which though ancient, Lannery is told is still years ahead of anything they know today, but it's also dangerous. Uh, they discuss how some of those strong in the Force never connect fully and are sent out as the shunned. Kara may be one of them, uh, one of these shunned. And Dagon Locke, uh, which is a character who's on Bogan, is mentioned. And this is one of those comic tie-ins. There was, uh, they don't talk about him a lot in the book, but they do mention him a few t- quite a few times. That there's this character named Dagon Locke who is a prisoner on Bogan. And there's actually a comic series called Dawn of the Jedi, Prisoner of Bogan. <laughs> <laughs> and it deals with Dagon Locke. In fact, the whole comic series of Dawn of the Jedi has a lot to do with this character, Dagon Locke. So it, it's neat. Like, if you read this book and you're like, who is this character, Dagon Locke, you can actually then go right into the comic series and learn a lot about him. Yeah. That, I, I did like how that was, would be so closely tied in. Yeah. So it makes me want to kind of read that, too. Yeah. Um, after the after the call, uh, Lenori tells Trey that they are about to land on the Stargazer's Dai Bendu Temple. Like she's not going to land near it; she's at, literally going to land on it, <laughs> <laughs> right on the roof. Yeah. So uh, then we get into Chapter Seven, and they landed the Peacemaker inside the temple's front doors. <laughs> uh, they found the remains that Dal and his group had actually been there, including a smashed up comm unit. Uh, they narrowly escape a bomb that was set for them. 
So they just missed him. Yeah. Just, so she's getting pretty close to uh, finding her brother. Yep. And uh, Lenore has Iron Hulk's uh, work on the comm unit to help see if there's anything that could be revealed from it. Uh, the comm unit revealed communications with someone on a planet called Nox, N-O-X, uh, the most polluted and dangerous planet in the system, which this cracked me up as we got farther into the book because it seemed like every next planet or place they went to, well, this was the most dangerous, and then this was the most dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, if you thought that one was bad. Right. Uh, then we look back in the past, and we have Master uh, Kinade, who's a Zabrak, Z-A-B-R-A-K, which, do you remember, do you know what a Zabrak is? No, what's that? That's actually Darth Maul's species. Oh, right, okay. I didn't know the name, yeah. but yeah, yeah. So they have the little horns on their head right. and everything else. Um, so Master Kinade, uh, he uh, has them trained uh, with her invention, uh, which is called a Darrow Sphere, and it it kind of reminds me of uh, the remote that Luke fought against in A New Hope, but more of like one that's on steroids, because <laughs> <laughs> this thing's pretty deadly. <laughs> yeah, but it it's her creation, uh, and not only do they have to fight uh, this thing, but they have to fight it blinded and uh, and deafened, so they have to use the Force. Yeah. And uh, when it became Dal's turn, uh, he pulls out a blaster and starts shooting wildly <laughs> until Master Kinade <laughs> stops him, uh, right. basically by hurting him, uh, which I thought was funny. It was kind of like, I think he was like faking it for a while. And then when he finally got zapped a few times, he was like, screw this, just pulled out a blaster and started shooting. <laughs> yeah, because she was saying she was kind of uh, having hope for him that he was actually touching the forest yeah. and kind of getting getting into it. And he's like, screw this, and just like was <laughs> blowing her very way. Um, chapter 8, uh, they uncover from the memory cell, so we're back in the present time of the story, uh, they recover from the memory cell of the comm unit that most communications came from Greenwood Station, which was the most dangerous place for a Jedi on Knox. <laughs> <laughs> Even more dangerous. Right. <laughs> it was also the best place for tech to be made, so it was believed Dal went there to have the Gree technology made. Uh, then we get a glimpse into the past, and Dal, Lenore, and Kinade are before Master Lamy uh, to describe what happened uh, when Dal shot at everybody. Uh, and Dal lies, and Lenore knows it. Uh, she is given a glimpse of Dal's dark thoughts by the master, uh, Lamy, after the meeting. So Lamy pulls her aside and says, here's what I was reading from your brother as he was lying to me. Like, so they knew he was lying. Yeah. You can't let it lie to a Jedi. No, seriously. no. So then we get into <laughs> chapter nine. Uh, Lenore and Trey land outside of Greenwood Station when some sentry ships and powered up laser cannons made it clear that they were not welcome there. <laughs> uh, they sneak into the city uh, by way of an unguarded airlock. Uh, Cause this, the actual planet is pretty like polluted and noxious. So yeah. they have to actually use like ventilators and stuff to, to go across the planet to get to this airlock. Uh, Trey said he knows someone in the city that might be able to help them, but this being is unsavory. So dun, dun, dun. And Lannery's like, well, if that's coming from me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and this is, well, this is the time, too, where Trace really starts to, she gets a glimpse into how rough a character he kind of is. Yeah. Like, really at this point, because of the context he knows and the kind of 
life he must have lived to be to even be aware of this place and how to yeah. it, manipulate it and move around. And it. she keeps asking him over and over again, like, have you ever been here before? Have you Because he seems to know where everything is and who to go to yeah. and stuff like that. And he's like, no, and he like plays it off like, no, I've, I've done a lot of business dealings here, so I feel like I know the place. But um, And I, obviously I think he's lies the whole time about yeah. that. I think he has been to this planet before. Um, so then we get into Chapter 10. And we're back in the past, and it's time for the students to continue their journey to the next temple. Master Lamy pulls uh, Lenori aside to show his room of shame, where he hangs pictures of uh, of beings that he has failed in the past. And Lenori thinks that he that she's there because he's warning her not to be one of those uh, that he doesn't want Dal to be one of those people. And here it's really because he doesn't want her to be one of those people. Because he feels that if she keeps following, trying to save her brother, that she's going to fail as a, in her own training. So, um, and Lenore basically says, "I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna fail Dal, and I'm not gonna fail you." So, uh, then we're back in the present, and uh, Lenore and Trey meet Dom D O M M, who is another Zabrik, and uh, ask where they can find Max Hagen. Uh, which is who they think knows everything that's going on on this in this city in on this planet. So Dom eventually gives up that he is in District Six's market. So thus ends Chapter Ten. Then we have uh, Chapter Eleven. Uh, in the past, uh, Lenore and Dal battle against sea creatures to reach the port that leads to Anil Kesh. A N I L K E S H. And that's the Temple of Science. So like you were talking about, there's all these different temples that they're traveling to. Yeah. Uh, and it, it really makes sense. I mean, because if you're going to have a Jedi um, be skilled in all these areas, you know what I mean? Yeah. You would have Jedi uh, masters who are obviously proficient in each one. Instead of having a Jedi master who is the trainer or master and then like an apprentice or a Padawan learning from this one Jedi. Yeah. You know, you go around as a Padawan and learn from various masters based on a very specific skill. And it's almost like this this journey that they're going on is to find out what they are proficient at, like what yeah. what calls out to them. Because just like anyone else, you don't know what you're good at until you kind of try a few things. So um, on this trip to the Temple of Science, Dal barely communicates with Lenori. He just doesn't barely even talk except when they get attacked by some of the sea creatures. Um in the present uh, present time, Lenore and Trey meet Max Hagen. They make an offer of half a million credits to know where Dalian Brock is. Uh, Max Hagen agrees to find out, and while they uh, they wait until night, Trey tells Lenore of his past and how Dan Powell promised, after all this is done, to help him become normal by having his third Leku removed and change his identity as well as help him forget his past. So at the end of the day, that's what he wants. He just wants to have a normal life and put everything behind him. And we do get a, a, a real in-depth de, uh, description of what he's done in his past uh, in this book, as far as some of the things, as far as gangs yeah. he was involved in and everything else. So, Do we do they establish his relationship to um, the... I forget her name. The Jedi who 
damn hot. Or that she, yeah, that she altered his mind. No, yeah, I mean they did. They do mention that. Yeah, they have mentioned that already. That, um, yeah, that she is actually she's the one responsible for, you know, genetically altering his mind that he can't be read by other Jedi and and that he, um, uh, Dan Paul is proficient in alchemy, which is not viewed kindly by most Jedi. Uh, and it's like, yeah, I think it's this. I mean, this was new to me. You know, is that is this mentioned at all in other? Not that I know Star Wars of. Books of the Jedi? Yeah. yeah, not that I know of. Um, but it's like the alchemy of flesh, which is basically manipulating like you were talking about genetically manipulating living tissue and living beings uh, using the force. And she. Yeah, it gets it gets weird. Yeah. And she <laughs> and she did this to uh, Tresana to help him be able to protect his mind and, and things like that and right. and everything. Uh, but also Lenore, we find out Lenore late, later on, we find out has been trained in this and this is what she excels in. Uh, and Dan Powell took her on as an apprentice in this alchemy of flesh, which like you said, later on gets really weird. So, <laughs> so then we get into uh, chapter 12 uh, in the past, Lenorian Dow approach Anil Kesh, uh, there is a great chasm near it that ha- uh, no one has seen the bottom of and returned. And this chasm, again, plays a big factor in the comic book series. Oh, okay. Um, because what happens is when you go into this chasm, uh, a lot of Jedi, like the stronger you are in the Force, the more it affects you. And some Jedi have gone down into the chasm and have had uh, crazy visions. And when they come back, one of them that talked about his vision was uh, Dagon Locke. And that's why they put him away, because they didn't want him talking about it. So, so like I said, to learn more about this chasm and everything else, uh, definitely read the comic book series. Uh, That was the great thing about this book, is it I thought the comic book series was good, but it wasn't great. And after reading this book, I'm like, man, I want to go back and reread it. (laughs) And I actually did start, I did reread a couple of the issues, and I'm like, wow, this is so much better now after reading that book. So... Just kind of gives you that backstory. Exactly. There, and also, like I mentioned, there's there's some Jedi that have gone down into the chasm and have never returned. So, uh, those that try are affected negatively by it. And the uh, like I mentioned, the stronger you are in the Force, uh, the more it affects you. Dal becomes even darker here and says his ending is near. So it's just one of those ominous moments where he's like, "My ending is near." <laughs> Uh, Lenore and Trey meet up with Max Hagen and he reveals, uh, her brother arrived two days ago and was in a place called Pandeep, P-A-N-D-E-E-P, uh, which was an out of the way place. Uh, it's underground, uh, but still connected to Green Station, which is the city that they're in. Uh, it was a place where advanced military tech was built. So Lenore and Trey ventured down into Pandeep. They fought some guards in a brutal fight. <laughs> um, yeah. That's the one thing I noticed with this book uh, was that they got real graphic <laughs> in describing what was in like being cut off and Ugh. blood gushing and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, I learned uh, Lenore is not averse to killing a dude. No. <laughs> like, I, what does I say in my notes? I said... Um, how did I put it? Okay, Lannery kills lots of people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's what I wrote. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean lots, lots of, of people, people in this yes. book. Like, 
there, <laughs> I think I kind of got in the, in you know, in the initial three movie, the trilogy of the movies, you know, there, there's some Jedi fights and and some people die, but you don't really, you know, it's not like loads of it. And then it becomes like more battle droids. You see him yeah. just wading through battle droids and stuff like this. Yeah. But she's doing that with like people. I mean, she's just like <laughs> dismembering them, and they are going down. I mean, she's just tearing through. And then again, this is just like with the sword. Yeah. I mean, she's just like right. just taking them out. Yeah, it's there's crazy. no cauterizing the wound or anything like that with a lightsaber. No, they're all bleeding out. I mean, they're just like screaming. <laughs> so uh, they then enter a room with some scientists, and and Dal is in the room, and he looked uh, surprised but happy to see Lenori and. Uh, that caused her to lower her guard and then something struck her in the head and she went down. So she blacks out after that. Yeah. Uh, so then we get into chapter 13 and just for people, you know, that are listening, wondering, okay, how long is this going to go? Uh, the story is 19 chapters. So that we're more than halfway through already. Well, more than halfway through. Um, in the past, uh, Lenori travels out to look down at the chasm, which Dal states he has done every day since they arrived, which is kind of creepy. Yep, he's weird. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was out there that she first meets Master Dampal. So that's when they first have their first meeting. Uh, Lenori awoke uh, in the present uh, day to find Dal there. The scientists tell Dal the device is done and is perfect. Dal then has... <laughs> His men gun the scientists down. <laughs> Ruthless. Typical bad guy moves. Like, thank you yeah, for exactly. making me the device. Now look, kill them all. <laughs> uh, he points out to Lenori that he is without any aspect of the Force in him. So this is why he hates the Force so much, is because there is no aspect of the Force in him. Like, you cannot sense any bit of the Force in him. Right, he's just completely devoid. Yep. Uh, he leaves with the device, which Lenori believes will open a black hole. Uh, a guard is left, but Lenori is able to defeat him, but not before he detonates a bomb, which kind of traps them in the space that they're in. Uh, Lenori barely pulls Trey to herself in time before it goes off. Uh, then in a flashback, we find out that Master Dampal sees Lenori as her greatest apprentice and plans to teach her the alchemy of flesh. So going back to what was mentioned a little earlier. Uh, Lenori and Trey escape the tunnels of Pandeep through another path that they find, and they come to the surface to see a huge battle waging between two different factions on the planet. And this whole battle was caused by Dal uh, to mask what his mission was. He basically so spread. He just wanted a, um, a distraction. Yeah. Uh, so he could get away. And But his distraction is a war. Yeah. Like he starts an entire war by like manipulating people and setting things up. And, and it destroys all this, this planet. I mean, it destroys yeah. the city that they they were in. It, I mean, it compl- and I'm talking and I'm talking destroys. I don't mean like destroy in the in the figurative sense, like emotionally and few people die. I'm talking about like the the temp. We're talking like Man of Steel, Metropolis, right? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right, like this is intense. Like there's this dome over the city, and the dome comes collapsing down on the city. So. Right, and the dome was what was keeping all the polluted air yep. and, and toxic gas, you know, yep. from killing people. Yep. So we get into chapter 14, and we have, uh, in the past, Dal is brought back to the temple after being out on a project with other students. Uh, he went into the the abyss uh, and other, uh, along with some others and had, uh, had to be rescued by them. Uh, he was to be arrested, uh, healed, 
and then cast out. But upon his return, he attacks uh, the the people that are there and runs off. And Lenore goes chasing after him. And he actually kills one of the Jedi that yeah. that uh, was there to train them. So, uh, and of course, Lenore's worried. Like, is she going to be seen as someone that was involved in the murder because she just ran off after her brother? Yeah, I mean, it was just instinctual. But she thought. I mean, she knew it was over the line. She knew that there was no going back. But at the same time, um, she just wanted to try and re- meet up with him or reach him or, yep. or stop him in time just to, as one last-ditch effort to try and redeem him. But, yeah. you know, he had already done too much, and she kind of realized after just running off after the scene of the crime type thing that maybe she had made a mistake doing that as well, but it was kind of too late. Yeah. And then, uh, Lenore and Trey is, uh, in the present day escape Greenwood station as the war is waging around them. They get out of the way, uh, uh, they get out the way they came in and they get onto the peacemaker to follow Dal. Uh, Lenore has had placed a tracer on him when they were, when they were captured. So this, it wasn't, and just, for listeners going, Oh, sure. All of a sudden she had a tracer on them in the book. They actually talk about how she did it in the previous chapter, like actually placing it on him. So, uh, so it wasn't like, Oh sure. She put a tracer on them. <laughs> uh, like real convenient. Yeah. Real yeah. convenient. Like they actually show that, that, that she did yeah, that. She did it very purposefully yeah. knowing that he'd probably get away. Right. Kind of uh, they have a starfighter battle. Uh, before finally escaping the planet. So they, they were chased by some, because again, they don't like Jedi in, on this planet. So they thought that they were the cause of what was going on and everything. So, yeah. So she's also worried that because she was spotted and I think she was kind of supposed to keep a low key. Yes. Yes. uh, Throughout this whole mission, like the Jedi, as she was instructed by the masters was to not make it a public chase. and, And then, to, you know, to make matters worse, she spotted at the beginning of this huge genocidal, you know, war. Yeah. And so people are going to assume that it's associated with the Jedi starting it. Yeah. So, so Dale's kind of two birds with one stone kind of thing. Exactly. Uh, so then chapter 15, uh, Lenore in the past travels three days in the direction of the old city, convinced uh, that is where Dal is heading. Uh, Lenore in the present radios Dan Powell to state they are in pursuit but we'll have to catch Dal and his followers where they are going, uh, which is a, a place called Sunspot. Uh, Trey gets sick, possibly from the harsh environment on Knox, and has to stay with the ship. Uh, Lenore heads down into the mines of Sunspot, but upon arriving is hit over the head with a rock. So again, she gets... <laughs> like, this is the second time she's been knocked out. <laughs> Yeah, you know, at the very beginning, this is what we were talking about. She was very confident in her abilities and showed, like, how amazing she was. And then, like, she gets hit in the head with a rock. Right. She gets knocked out. You know, we're like, what? Right. Like, seriously. I was really starting to think that maybe the author couldn't think of any other way to get her out of the picture or capture her. I was just like, hit her over the head, hit her over the head. But then it's funny because they actually, she actually makes a, a thought to herself later on going, this is the second time I've been hit in the yeah. head. <laughs> so just really, they just really hang a lantern on it, you know, in, in the story itself. Like, hey, just so you know, right. like the character is aware of how ridiculous this yeah. is. Also. So uh, chapter 16, uh, Lenore's in the uh, in the past explores the old city looking for Dal. She calls out many times, but hears nothing. Then in the distance, she hears a scream. Uh, she runs towards the scream only to find ripples in an underground lake and some torn, bloody clothes of Dal's. Uh, she mourns the loss of her brother. So she assumes he's dead. And uh, so everybody you know, up to this point has assumed 
he was dead, which is why it was kind of a shock at the beginning of the story where they asked her to go after her brother. Exactly. Because she's like, uh, what? Because he's dead. But. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Lenore in the present is brought to a room where Dal and the stargazers and some miners are. Uh, and miners meaning people that mine for minerals and stuff, not miners in little chil- as in little children. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody is under the age of 18. <laughs> right. Uh, child labor. Uh, the device is there. And the miners put a fuel called Marionium, uh, which reminded me of Marion from Indiana Jones. Uh, <laughs> just I figured I was trying to look for some type of Lucas film connection there with the name of it. So, uh, and they put that into the device, and the device comes on, and Lenore feels the force leaving the room. Uh, it makes her physically sick, and she sees her brother rejoicing and tells him that she has to bring him. Uh, that she's going to have to bring him down. And Dal says that is the, uh, that that's the end for her. He aims his blaster at her chest and pulls the trigger. So he just shoots her. <laughs> like, I was like, what? <laughs> like point blank shoots her in the chest, right? Like right, right. in the chest. Oh yeah. And that's, and I'm like, and I'm like, well, there's the end of that story. <laughs> I was like, how many chapters are left in this book? Like, okay. So he like just guns her down. You know what I mean? And so there is, you know, throughout this whole whole book, you feel this emotional connection between Lannery and Dale where she is constantly trying to redeem him. Even after all the stuff he's done, yeah. she still feels this closeness to him. And he, just, and he, ha- he has completely rejected her years ago. He's way past this. And it's no more clearly stated than when he just shoots her in the chest. <laughs> like, right. Just like guns are down execution yeah. style. And she's like on the ground, like vomiting. And he just walks up to her and says, well, you're having a bad yeah, day. Oh, Let me make it worse for you. <laughs> just to kick her. First he knocks her, hits her head with a rock. Right. She's all throwing up because she can't feel the force. And then he shoots her in the chest. Like, man, and what this, he is not getting into a Christmas card. <laughs> right. And what this device actually does is it takes that fuel and turns it into dark matter. So that's what yeah. the purpose of the device is. So, which I thought was cool too. Like the force pulls the force. You know, just like yep. becomes this energy source by completely sucking the force out of out of the area. The per- yeah, the area, the perimeter, whatever. Yep. Uh, so then we get into chapter seventeen, which I'm like, where, why is there even a chapter seventeen? The bad guy won. <laughs> <laughs> She's dead. The end. So in the last moment, uh, Lenore calls upon the force. Uh, like to herself and yeah. uh, but then she just sees blackness. Uh, she awakes in pain due to a wound the size of a fist in her <laughs> in her chest, in her chest. <laughs> and she sees that Trey and Iron Hogs were carrying her on a makeshift stretcher back to the peacemaker. Right. Um, so Trey, who was just kind of sick, I mean, like you get the impression he's kind of deathly sick, but for the most part that. You know, he's sick from their experience on the the other planet, um, and I kind of you know, he was just left back on the ship, so yeah. so you don't really expect him to be coming. But yeah, and I kind of took it as stuff. like uh, you know you always hear about adrenaline. Like I feel like he was worried about what was happening, and that kind of pumped him up enough that he was feeling better enough to get out there and look for her because she's actually yeah. been missing for a while. So, and this is kind of where you really see the redemption of this character. Like even though he was this apparent kind of bad guy, criminal, all this kind of stuff that throughout the course of the book, they do create this really kind of fun, you know, sidekick relationship where the work partner partnership, they're working together. 
And, you know, this is, she would have obviously been dead without him here. Right. So yep. the fact that he was willing to battle his own pain and sickness and, you know, deathbed to find her, save her, bring her back, yep. you know, all that kind of stuff. So uh, Lenore actually instructs Trey on the items to get in her ship for her because she didn't have much time. I would think not with a... No, exactly. <laughs> and this is when it gets weird. Yes. So Lenore uses her knowledge of alchemy of flesh in an intense effort to heal herself. Um, and I just said she does so. But really what happens is she has this little experiment that she's been working <laughs> on for a while, which is like pieces of her own flesh and blood that she's been manipulating over time. And there's like like this lumpy, fleshy, pulsating thing oh, there that's like alive. Man. How they describe it is so disgusting. Yeah. It's like... Ima- it's oh, got I don't even like want to get into It's got like a milky eyeball. <laughs> uh, I remember as being one of the vivid images. Um, but yeah, this thing is like alive, and it's kind of her. And what she does... The idea is that she takes parts of her DNA and is like growing in a culture, like growing... Like a clone. Uh, you kind of... Oh, yeah, basically growing clone or clone-like parts right. or just genetic material that she could then take and manipulate. It's not like she's taking a spleen from this clone to fix her own spleen or anything like that. It's just lumpy yeah. genetic material, and anything could grow out of it. An right. eyeballs, a few hairs, there's a snaggle tooth sticking out. Right. You know, you're like, what is this lump of nasty? She's like, oh, this is my experiment. And it's alive. <laughs> and it's, it's uh, you know pulsing alive that she can then take and in. And she pulls the whole thing into her chest, like, or calls, <laughs> like calls upon it, and heals herself that way. It's so gross. <laughs> and the thing dies, um, but it saves her. So Right. So the idea is, that, again, it's just pure genetic material she can take and infuse into her body, like, using the force to basically repair and fix the gap that is literally gone from the blaster hole in her chest. And you so, got to figure this is the dark side of the force. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, I mean, like this cannot be, you're not going to see Yoda using this. No. Movie. And it's a good hint, uh, to like possibly f- why future Sith Lords and stuff like that can live so long. You know, maybe this is something that they're able to do and tap into and everything else. Right. Or, or why Sidious was so, you know, like in the clones. I was just going to say, yeah, why he decided to make a clone army and stuff like that. So um, there's a lot of things that you can kind of extrapolate. It, it doesn't mean that that's what they're actually going for with this, with that in this story, but you could certainly see how they could have been thinking along those lines when they yeah. were writing this. So, so Trey is actually getting worse uh, with sickness, but there is no time to get him to like a hospital or anything. Uh, they know Dallas heading to the old city on Titan. Uh, they make it out of there, but there is a, f- a force storm on the planet, and they fear Dal has already begun his mission with his device, uh, which is kind of funny to me because the first miniseries for the comic book is called Dawn of the Jedi Force Storm. Uh, right. And it actually does play into the comic. There, that, that is the reason why there is a force storm going on is because of what's happening in the comic book series. So this is when they start crossing over with each other. Right. Uh, so chapter 18 uh, Lenore and Trey approach Tython as they uh, head towards the old city. They uh, they found Dal's ship crashed due to the force storm. Uh, two of the stargazers were inside dead from the crash, but Dal and the device were gone. Trey uh, came with Lenore into the old city. Uh, he was given medicines on the ship that had him feeling a lot better. Uh, they found some Jedi guards killed along with other uh, another stargazer. 
Uh, as they proceed, Trey pushes Lenore out of the way of another Stargazer's blast shots, but Trey was shot and is lying there dying now because of being shot, and Lenore kills that Stargazer. So they kind of give you a little bit of hope, like Trey's going to make it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, uh, he's feeling better, he got medicine, and all this kind of stuff, and then he just gets shot, too. I'm just like, oh, man, this guy's having a rough time. <laughs> and again, showing, like, that Lenore is not as in tuned right now into the force she's so focused on getting to her brother and stopping her brother that she's not sensing what's going on around her because i think at the beginning of the story she would have sensed that blast before it came um yeah no i think this is like a clear example of how you you see like characters in uh yoda always saying you don't want these connections and you don't want these you know to to be blinded, right. you know what I mean, yep. by these emotions, because this is a prime example of it. She's so focused on her brother and trying either to redeem him, not not even redeem him at this point, just, but just to take him out of the equation so he's not hurting anybody else. Exactly. But she's so blinded by that emotion and the dark side to a certain extent because of it yep. that she's not even aware of these other things. Exactly, you know? exactly. Um, so she had to leave Trey and uh, lying there dying, and she went after her brother. Uh, in a final battle with him, she used all of her training and knowledge in the Force to fight him. Uh, she ends up cutting off his arm and slicing into his head, <laughs> killing him. <laughs> yeah. Um, she stabilizes the device and get uh, and gets it and Trey back to her ship. So when I, look- I, I did you find that the fight was a little anticlimactic or um not actually not actually reading it. I mean it. it I guess maybe like I expected the battle to last a little longer, but I think it was like she finally clicked that she could call upon all the things. Like she finally, like he was actually beating her a little bit. And then finally yeah, yeah. she realized he does not, he's not in tune with the force at all. So that's what I can right. use against him. And then that's when she gets the upper hand. And it, so it kind of made sense that it wouldn't be a very it makes, long it makes Exactly. It makes <laughs> sense that she should be able to take him out pretty easily. Right. Um, you know what I mean? But, but like you said, she I, was so clouded before yeah. that she didn't wasn't realizing it it was like this was the moment she realized it so yeah. um and really before you know like i said uh she takes the device and trey and and takes him back to the ship uh i really thought when she left trey that he was already dead the way that it was worded in the book and yeah. everything else i thought after he got shot he was done i thought he was dead <laughs> me too i was surprised that he was still uh yeah, he was. Then when she gets back to him, that he's still alive. I was really surprised. At that. Yeah. So then we have chapter nineteen, which is the end of the story. Uh, Trey was taken to a healer, and his prognosis of recovery was good. Uh, Lenore meets uh, with Dan Powell, and she uh, she's told of another threat being investigated, which was uh, this other ship that crash landed and that has caused the force storm. Uh, they're going to go explore it, and that is what she's talking about. Like I said, is exactly what Dawn of the Jedi, the comic book, is about. Um, so, cool. so really cool how it ties in together. At what point? When did? When, so when did she have this kind of vision about Jedi from other areas with like lightsabers and that kind of stuff? Yeah, that uh, goes right into. I can't remember when that happens in the book, but yeah, she does have that vision and. That is what the whole Dawn of the Jedi comic book's about, is they they start off with swords, but then here there's this character called Zesh that shows up. That's who Crash lands on there, and he's a, a force hound. He, he It's almost like um, 
Rachel Summers in the X-Men. She was a, a mutant hound. She would hunt down mutants yeah. for her masters. This guy hunts down Jedi, uh, those strong in the force for his masters, which are the Rakata, which are a whole nother story and a whole nother species. Uh, yeah. They're out there, but they're the Rakata are the ones that actually created lightsabers. Uh, they created that oh, technology cool. and they give them to their hounds. And then that's how the Jedi come across them is they actually get the lightsaber from this character named Zesh. And they're like, well, this is interesting. <laughs> and they, and they learn yeah. that you can actually ignite it by using the force and stuff like that. So even though later on lightsabers are ignited by just pushing a button early on, lightsabers could only be ignited. It was a way to hone the force through uh, a saber. Yeah, the way she described it was that the sword itself was the force. Yes. Um, and I, I thought that was interesting yep. because obviously I was only aware of it being like something you mechanically made. I knew it was like a, a level of trial for a Jedi to be able to create their own lightsaber and having the knowledge of it. I knew that it was based on this the gem, right? This power yeah. that would fuel the, the power for the lightsaber. Exactly. But I never understood how the force was... A part of it, besides being adept enough in the forest to use a lightsaber right. and not cut yourself. Right, but, <laughs> which I would. Uh, exactly. <laughs> like, there goes my arm. You know, it's like over immediately, just trying to light it. But, I, um, I would be looking into it as I'm, like, trying to tap it to get it to start off. And go right, <laughs> Is this thing on? Go right, right through right my head. head, yeah. <laughs> well, so, I mean, so this I found really intriguing because, like, uh, that makes a lot of sense. You know, that yeah. there would have to be force involved just to even manipulate it, to, to start it, to light it, to ignite it, whatever. But, um, yeah, I, I'd like to learn more about that. That seems really cool. Yeah. And I would recommend the comic series because of that. Um, so she mentions a strange ship crashed with force sensitive, uh, sensitives on it. And, uh, Lenore asked if a hypergate did exist in the old city and was, uh, told that it did not matter if it did or didn't. So basically saying, yes, it did, but, we don't talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dal's body was never found when they went back down to go get it. I cannot imagine. Lenore assumes that a creature took it away uh, because there's. She put a sword through his head. Yeah, there's no way he time, lived. Like, she was shot in the chest and treated. We thought was dead three times. Like I don't know exactly. <laughs> and uh, Lenore returns home and uh, and her parents on. On Titan, so she she actually is seeing her parents for the first time since she became a Jedi. Yeah, I was surprised at that too. I mean, considering how close she seemed with uh, Dale or Dal, yeah. like for then for her to not even interact with her parents like was strange to me. Like because it seemed like she had a lot of close family ties, but yeah, when they thought Dal had died, they just kind of pulled away too, I guess, or whatever. Now, did your audiobook? also have Dawn of the Jedi Eruption, which was a seven-page, in the book, it's a seven-page short story. No. It, I, well, or that or it was some kind of, like, I, I took it as an epilogue or some okay. kind of preview of the next story. Yeah, there's uh, Dawn of the Jedi Eruption. It's a seven-page short story uh, written by John Ostrander, who is the person who is writing Dawn of the Jedi, the comic book. Uh, uh, and just to give you the real quick gist of it, it takes place before our book takes place. So this seven-page short story takes place before the whole Into the Void story takes place. Right. And it's uh, right. a character named Ryo Hawk, R-Y-O-H-A-W-K, and he's a Twi'lek. Uh, and he appears prominently in the Dawn of the Jedi uh, story. And it has Lenori. And they're sent to... Oh, okay. They're, sent, uh, they're teamed up to, and they're sent to help a dispute between these two feuding crime boss families. 
uh, because the one one's daughter was supposed to marry the other one's son to help bring them together, but the daughter was kidnapped. Ryo goes looking for the daughter, and Lenori handles taking care of the negotiations until he can find her, making sure it doesn't get out of control. And she's really hilarious because she's like, she decides to pull out her blaster and shoot it up in the air when uh, three times to get their attention when they start arguing with each other. Uh, and she's like, "Look!" And then she puts the gun back down and goes, "Look, I've dealt with worse people than you. <laughs> Don't make <Yeah>. me angry." <laughs> uh, ultimately, Ryo finds. Uh, finds the kidnapped girl and it's actually his brother who is a uh Ryo's brother is a, a crime boss also and he wants these two warring factions uh to go at each other because it, it means better for him. Uh so he rescues uh, Ryo rescues the girl uh and brings her back in time but then they find out that she does not want to be be married to the guy. <laughs> right. And uh they actually work out an arrangement where they would swap children so the daughter would go live with the other family and the son would go live with the other family for a while to kind of learn their business and everything else and and that's how they would mend fences with each other so it was an interesting short story um and i i really liked how it it brought in a character from the comic series and and the character from this book and put them together um yeah and it was also interesting because at the end of this short story, uh, she says bye to Ryo, who is going to go uh, meditate on something, which is where we pick up him in the comic book. And oh, okay. uh, Lenore says, I was just called by the Council of Masters. They want to meet with me about a ne- my next mission, which is the Into the Void story. So, right. So that was a cool little seven page short story that was in the book. So. So and that's that's the book. That's the story. Um, cool. What were what your were, thoughts overall? Oh, okay, yeah, for me, um, I you know i I thought it was fun. I thought it was great. I didn't you know maybe not say the best Star Wars book I've ever read, but certainly not the worst either. I think uh, I am excited more for the potential of this era and like new beginnings. You know, just a chance to explore other elements of the Force, like like the alchemy, like um, you know, introducing lightsabers. Uh, you know the the balancing the dark side and light side, um, the idea of uh, a galaxy or an area that's kind of locked away from the rest of the galaxy and then them being reintroduced into it. You know, all of these kind of potential storylines I find really intriguing. So I want to see what happens. The main character, uh, Larry, I just really enjoyed. I, I thought of a cool, a strong female Jedi. Yeah. Uh, we don't really see that very often that you, that a whole story is based around them. Um, so I, I, I liked it a lot. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, for me, you know, I don't, again, I think we had talked, we're not necessarily going to rate these things like out of a scale of 10 right. or like uh, buy it or borrow it type thing. But, um, just in general, like I would recommend it, especially if you're looking to just jump in at the ground level of a whole new era of star Wars. Yeah. Uh, because this is a way that it introduces, and it seems like a really neat that they're, they're very purposefully tying it into the comic series. So you can like kind of read both to make it, as extensive or as full as possible, but certainly not necessary. So you don't feel like you have to read the comics or the novels, just that they uh, complement each other. Yeah. So I thought that would be cool. Yeah, I, I'm in the same boat. I, I really enjoyed reading it. I really liked it in the sense that it, it gave a lot of background. This this is really becoming one of my favorite time periods is anything that takes place before A New Hope. 
uh, or really before Phantom Menace, uh, is these early days of the Jedi and, and everything else, because there's not a lot known about them uh, during this time period, and you could really explore it. And, and because we are, you know, you would think it might stifle the story because the end is everybody knows the end, right? But I think more than anything, I, find, I always love it where they can find ways to link it up and yeah. give backstory to established characters or possibilities of, you know, we know the Jedi now, these are the origins. Exactly. And then you can, there's actually a lot of freedom to that, which is kind of... Yeah, and they, and they can still have a target at the end to know, okay, here's where I need to go, but how do I get there? And it, and that yeah. can be really interesting, too. Um couple critiques, criticisms I had with it. One was uh, because Star Wars is not really known for being gory, I the the vivid description of her slicing people and like she talk they talk about the one part where she takes down the one stargazer and his head is rolling down the steps as she's walking down uh, and like <laughs> stuff like that and it's like and it's not just that the head's rolling but like it's this bloody mess that's rolling down next to her and I'm like the only time I remember blood being a factor in Star Wars at all was in A New Hope when Obi-Wan slices Pondababa's arm off. Uh, you, yeah. you see a little bit of blood there, but blood isn't really, blood and gore isn't really a huge factor of Star Wars. Um, so I, even though they're working with regular swords, regular sabers and stuff like that, I still felt like it didn't need to be, like, she, they could have said, like, she cut his head off or cut his arm off, but didn't have to be so graphic describing yeah. like how you know cutting his intestines open and things I think like that they can get away with it more in the novels than say certainly than in comics and most certainly than in movies, movies yeah. because as soon as you it's one thing to read it and it's another thing to visualize it or to see it uh it just makes it even more so but yeah. I, I see i totally get where you're coming from but i think if they're going to do it i would only want to see it in the novels i wouldn't I want to see it in the comics at all or in the certainly not in the movie i agree and then the other only uh small criticism I had just my preference over what they actually did was the character of Tresana. I, uh, I actually think it would have been better to have him die. I think it would have been more impactful because I actually got to really like the character. And so yeah. it really affected me when he, when I thought he was dead and then to find out, Oh, he's going to be fine. And the prognosis looks good. And, and I'm like, it, it, I feel like it, he had that story of this is what he wants. He wants a normal life. And unfortunately, because he gets involved, he's not going to get it. Well, now he is going to get it. So I, I think it, it's, it's times like these. I almost wonder where the, if the writer had him die and then like editorially, yeah. they were told, no, we got to, we want to use him in future stories because he's a likable character. And right. Like, ah, you know, cause I think build his character arc was perfect for him dying. Yes. You know, I for agree. having that closure and you thinking of him as a good character, like, because that would have affected her life too, yeah. going forward. Yeah, yeah. Like having that impact of prejudging him before she met him, seeing where his potential was. He saved her life. Like at least once, I think twice, yeah. like going out of his way to really save her life. So, you know, to have a close friend and then she, they talk about this too in the story where she started out, liking her solitude in her ship yeah. you know that was her comfort zone and then initially when tree was in the ship with her she felt crowded and and claustrophobic because somebody else was there annoying, but by the yeah. end of the story yeah exactly always annoying her and then but by the end of the story she felt like as soon as he was gone she missed thought him. he was dead or whatever she completely missed him yeah, yeah. so or that it was uh you know that, that that her ship felt empty and i think that would have been much more potent if he was dead yeah you know what I mean? Her, her realizing that she could use a partner, she could use somebody to rely on and to watch her back, that kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, and then using the example of Tree helps propel her character. Yeah. 
But with him still alive, it takes away from that a little, for me at least. Yeah. But overall, I, I really enjoyed the story. There was a lot there to take in. Uh, like I said, I definitely recognized some characters I was familiar with. Uh, being in some of these characters and everything. Uh, one thing I would I want to throw out there also, I mentioned the comic book series. There is not, and I did mention that this is a time period that they are just getting into as far as Star Wars and telling stories from this time period. Um, but there was a comic that came out before number one of Force Storm, and it was Dawn of the Star Wars Dawn of the Jedi number zero. And this is really a, a resource book. It's not even a comic. It's it's one of those ones where they give you images and concept art, and then they just, with the name of what it is and uh, the background of it. So you get every single temple is in here. It tells you what the temple is, the name of it, and like the temple of knowledge, the temple of arts, the temple of science, all of that. Um, they also tell you the meaning of the word Jedi, J-E apostrophe D-A-I-I, uh, Titans who live on the planet uh Titan itself and are actively engaged in studying and understanding the force belong to the Jedi order. The word Jedi is an amalgam of two ancient Dai Bendu words. So remember Dai Bendu was mentioned before as being some of the original creatures that were brought to uh, Titan. Uh, Je, which is J E means mystic and Dai D A I I means center. So it's the, uh, a Jedi is essentially means mystic center, which plays into the whole balance thing. Yeah, so I think I, I'm just kind of curious to see how if there's Jedi, at least sensitive people in other areas of the galaxy. So this isn't like the origin of the Jedi necessarily, right? But, um, it's kind of I, I'm excited to see how it tie, yeah. ties in all together. And then there's the Jedi code, uh, which uh, is mentioned in the book. And the code is: there is no ignorance, there is knowledge, there is no fear, there is power. I am the heart of the Force. I am the revealing fire of light. I am the mystery of darkness in balance with chaos and harmony, immortal in the Force. So, again, talking about that balance and everything. Um, but if, if this is a time period you're interested in, I would definitely recommend picking up this one issue of the comic just to learn more and be able to actually see some of the stuff. Uh, you actually get to see what a Jedi Peacemaker uh, ship looks like. They actually have a picture of that. Um, they show, like I said, all the temples, but they also show some of the planet areas. Uh, so you actually get to see Chicago, which is an area that was mentioned in the books that we didn't really touch on much, but uh, it is mentioned in there. Uh, then we have the city of uh, Kalimar, which is where uh, Lenore first meets Tresana is in the city of Kalimar, uh, which cracks me up because the first thing that popped in my head when I heard the name Kalimar is uh, from Temple of Doom. It reminds me of what that uh, blood guy the the priest oh, yeah. guy would be like kalima shakti day <laughs> <laughs> so that's what popped in my head when i saw kalimar um <laughs> but uh yeah like i said i would definitely recommend picking this up if it's a time period you're interested in it like i said it's one issue it was a number zero issue the original cover price was 350 um but it gives a lot of just little snippets and like i said little concept art of of things like i said there's not a lot of reference material for this time period just yet. So this is this is the one issue that's out there that I actually referred to a lot when I was reading this book and kind of going, oh, so that's what that was, and oh, that's what this is, and everything. So, yeah. um, The only other thing I wanted to throw out there, I figure I'll do this, try to do this every single episode, uh, and I didn't mention this to you ahead of time, Robert, but just real, real briefly, uh, is I want to mention a, a Star Wars book that's out there that has nothing to do with the chronology that we're going to be covering. Uh, it's either a fun book or interesting book or something like that. Uh, it might be a reference book or something. But the one I wanted to mention is, I don't know if you've heard of this, it's, uh, it came out recently. It's called William Shakespeare's Star Wars. 
No. <laughs> and it is literally Star Wars: A New Hope told in this uh, the what? the speaking <laughs> phrases of William Shakespeare. Just like the old English. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's really interesting. And it's hilarious uh, <laughs> to read. Uh, and they and they literally literally write it out like it's a play. Like they have the, the this character oh, wow. steps off stage left and stuff like that. Like you could literally yeah. make a school play off of Shakes, William Shakespeare's Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> so Man, yeah, that seems that seems interesting. So I thought I would mention that. Um, I and like I said, each episode I will mention uh, a book that's outside of the ones that we're already already going to cover that I think would be interesting to check out that just for fun. So, so with that, uh, uh, let me just give out our information real quick. Uh, you can find us at starjoes.com. You can find us at the forum for geeks.com. You can find us at, uh, you can email us at starjoespodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter. It's at starjoespodcast. You can call us and leave us a voicemail. It's 440-941-JOES, 440-941-J-O-E-S. And you can call anytime and leave us a voicemail. Uh, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. Let us know what you think of this episode, and uh, leave us a review on iTunes. That would be great. Uh, but, yeah, we'd like to hear it. Do you like this format? Do you like that we're delving into this? Uh, and, uh, you know, if there's something you want to see us do differently, let us know. That would be great. Uh, Robert, how can they find your, your work? Um, you can uh, find me on Facebook. It's Robert Atkins Art. Uh, my blog is robertatkinsart.blogspot.com. And my email is Robert at Robert Atkins Art. So it's all pretty easy to follow uh, on Twitter. It's at Robert Atkins Art. So um, uh, that'd be probably the best way to get a hold of me or see what I'm up to. That's uh, I have galleries uh, either through my uh, uh, my blog. You can scroll through as two two to three years worth of uh, sketches and artwork. And then on my uh, Facebook, there's some as well. Awesome. Well, with that, we'll go ahead and close by saying the force will be with you. Because knowing us is half the battle. Take care, everyone.
Yeah. 